I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Well, uh, we're sitting down with Murray Keith Wadsworth, who is the author of Prostate Cancer, Sheep or Wolf. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start this off by first just asking the two of you guys, Brian, Taylor, mm-hmm. prostate cancer, sheep or wolf? Uh, I think um, it depends on how you approach it. <laughs> okay. I feel like that was a really diplomatic, diplomatic answer. answer. I'm going to yeah. say that I, I, I would initially think of it as a, a wolf but uh, maybe there's maybe maybe my initial instincts uh, are misleading me, and maybe it's more of a sheep. So perhaps it's a wolf in, in sheep's, sheep's clothing. clothing. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But but Murray Murray Keith Wadsworth, the uh, author of the book, is here with us right now. Uh, so I guess uh, before we kind of get into a, a, an actual introduction of you, what is it, Murray? Sheep or wolf? Or is that it, giving too much away? <laughs> no, no, no. It's it's the big question. Uh, mm. And I, I, I found my way to looking at it as sheep or wolf because all the medical terms get overwhelming. The, the labeling of tumors and what all of this means, the doctors can have their chats about that. I just wanted to know two things. Is it contained? Because if it's contained in the prostate, you got a really good chance of getting rid of it fairly easily. Mm. And how aggressive is it? Most men's prostate cancer is not that aggressive. And then prostate cancer, like any cancer, if it's a mean gnarly cancer, you're in a whole different ballgame. Mm. And, and that's a more challenging situation. Mine, I decided, is it's that they're mean sheep. Uh, they, they got out and they got out undetected and they, they kind of moved on down through the lymph node system. So mm. I think they're mean sheep. But <laughs> I was diagnosed eight years ago and I'm doing fabulous. So it can't be too woofy. <laughs> uh, okay, right. I, I kind of, I've, I, and correct me if I'm wrong here, um, but I've always, in this co- sort of context of sheep or, of sheep or wolf, um, I've always sort of had the, I've, I feel like I've always been sort of told, at least in sort of the public, um, kind of the zeitgeist of, of, of cancers, gotten the idea that prostate cancer is sort of labeled as this like bad cancer. Mm-hmm. And I've always, but then I, I, but then I also have the impression that it gets labeled as a bad cancer because it is a type of cancer that, because it's affecting men, and it's something that's up your butt, that that creates a big stigma, which allow, which kind of leads to a lot of people not being accurate, accurately or regularly screened for this, and then that leading to a progressed cancer. Is that, does that fit in, into your sort of understanding or am I off somewhere in there? 
No, you're, you're, I, I want to say you're dead on. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one of the issues with this disease and, and why it's, it's so terrific that you're covering it here today with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I subtitled the book before it became a popular term, Navigating Systemic Misinformation. And because oh, it's, whoa. Um, ahead of the times. Very different book today. Uh, very different book today. The, the, the word causes me a bit of trouble now. Uh, <laughs> no, no, and, no. But I couldn't stop the presses when uh, dictionary.com, whoever they are, came out and called it the word of the year. And I'm like, this is shit. This isn't yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah, this yeah. Is, I thought I was brilliant. And now I'm like, oh, you just copied everybody. No, I was I was early. Look at the print date. Yeah, yeah. You're the original. What, what would have uh, been worse if you if the subtitle was I did my own research? <laughs> uh, that, you know, that would have been a yeah. little bit more testing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, of course, I did. That's really the theme, that's, that's that's really the theme of the book. I know. Um, I know. It's just right? so funny. It, yeah, it's scary sometimes. And, yeah. Uh, but yeah, the yeah, it's also, it's also referred to as an old man's disease, mm-hmm. which is totally misleading. And, and, and what one of the problems is, is it a good or bad cancer? I have yeah. both prostate cancer and melanoma cancer. So are those good cancers? What's a good cancer? Right. The only good cancer is one that never shows itself. Mm, right. Mm-hmm. Right. Because yeah. we talk about we know we all have issues with our bodies and our cells are doing things and maybe cancer cells are present, but if they just sit there and do nothing, do we care? Mm-hmm. So that's a good cancer. The rest of it's not good. Yeah. It, for, for folks that are, that are kind of wondering about, about the book. So again, prostate cancer, sheep or wolf, uh, it, it reveals the dark reality about prostate cancer treatment in America and the, the shocking prostate cancer stories of um, Mr. Wadsworth right, right here and, and five other men. Um, and one of the things that you wrote was the problem is that America's equipment and treatment for prostate cancer is frequently or is frighteningly repressed. All medically reviewed uh, in the book, Wadsworth reveals the political mask, health system, greed and toxic masculinity, metastasizing prostate cancer in America. So that is I mean, whew, that that's a yeah. that that's a line that's very like, ooh, this this sounds like salacious and it sounds really, uh, really interesting. Um but before we get into like what you have unearthed for this book, um, I would love to kind of get an overview of like the origin story of your journey with cancer. Um, how did you how did you come to find out that you indeed indeed had prostate cancer? And I'm guessing that the journey of getting to that diagnosis um, is one of the things that sort of drove you to write a book like this. You're 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 correct. Uh, the journey, uh, and I love the way you guys like to use language. So the dur- the journey was fucked up. Mm-hmm. And so a question I want to throw at you, then I'll come back and answer your question that you don't need to answer right now. But do you guys know the status of your dads or your uncles or your grandfathers when it comes to this disease? So I was 47 years old and I was, you're shaking your head. No, right. Mm-hmm. That's the typical answer. I was, mm-hmm doing annual testing for a lot of things. I was the sole parent of my two kids. Their mom left us when they were quite young. And I didn't want anything to, to catch me by surprise. Mm. Um, there were a few people in my life, pseudo heroes, and they died young and that got my attention. So I'm in for my annual physical. And it was a weekend away. My kids were away that weekend. So I'm sort of giving away the quick story. And so I had some time with my girlfriend. And I have great health. 
I just have to tell you. And, and at 47, it was even better. And I get a phone call from the doctor. He says, you got to get to a urologist today. I've set you up with an appointment. Your PSA, the prostate specific antigen blood test is off the charts. Oh, wow. I'm like, okay. And I, I go down and I, the doctor sees me late in the day. And he says, I can't do the biopsy today, but we're going to do it tomorrow morning. But he said, you need to plan. Oh, and wow. Plan to die. And I'm like, my two kids have got nobody else. So I come in, I do the biopsy, which is not a very big deal. Uh, in the book, I talk about, you know, go talk to a woman who's given birth. If a man wants to be a wimp about getting a prostate biopsy, mm, yeah, you just that. do it. Mm. And then I get a phone call from the doctor and he says, it's all benign. No cancer. Whoa. And of course, so now mm. you've gone around the world, right? God, mm. I'm going to die to what, what the fuck? Wow. I, I guess it's good news, but. Now I'm mad. So I I delved into my, I just delved in. What causes this? What causes the PSA to rise? And it's out there. The information has been out there for decades. So sex just before the blood test isn't a good thing. It raises the PSA. Hmm. Bicycle riding isn't a good thing. Hmm. Well, the day before I had the blood test, I did a hundred miles on my bike. I did that kind of thing. (laughs) And And then you... And then you you know you had some time with your with your girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. But let's let's talk about that and see if we can compete with caking and hovering here. So my girlfriend at the time, that's a long time ago. She she entertained me and stimulated me with prostate massages. Oh yeah, all right, nice. Okay. Less than twenty four hours before the blood test. Oh wow! Huh. Now, so, now that's also kind of a no no. It's like the the the, the prostate. Well, stimula- they tell you that the books tell you no sex for like forty two hours or seventy eight hours. Ah, okay, right. okay. Less than twenty four hours, I'm getting a prostate massage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I go in armed with the doctor, and I go, well, "This is what I just did a few days ago," and he's like. Wow, you have a great girlfriend, you know. <laughs> and, and I wanted to know why didn't somebody ask me what did you do in the last two days? Right. Mm-hmm. So right, just as like a just as a screen just as a screening, like before yeah. we before we tell you to get your affairs in order, let's right. find out if you rode a bike or, yeah. or, or 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 because you like like you said the data is out there. Yeah. I mean, they fucking right. know this, right? It's worldwide now. So it's yeah. like you go to you go to your doctor and they do your blood pressure. And they go, your blood pressure is high. Go, well, I just ran up three flights of stairs. You know, can I have a minute? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so yeah, that was pretty startling. But yeah. I keep I keep on with screening for everything, and my PSA bounces around, and this goes on for ten years. And I'm in the threshold, just above the threshold, which is well known now to be wrong, but we don't want to talk about that yet. That's its own story. And the doctor keeps saying, well, maybe we should do another biopsy. And this is the unnecessary biopsy. It's labeled this. You hear about this. So men should be afraid of biopsies. And I didn't want another one. So we're, we're, and every time my PSA went up, next week it went down. So for 10 years, this goes on. Okay, it's interesting. Well, I'm, I'm living in England now. I'm, I'm, I'm 57. I've got a little business over there. I'm having a great time living in England. And it's time to get checked. And I get my blood checked over there and the PSA is up again. So I happen to have made friends with a really good doctor. And I said, I need a really good urologist. I just knew. And I've heard it with some of the other folks you've talked to. You just sort of know something's not right in your body. Mm-hmm. I didn't have any symptoms or anything. You usually don't. So I see a urologist over there. And I had my blood test done. And I showed him that. And he says, oh, you Americans. And he said, we're going to do the, the physical exam on you. Uh, but he said it's going to be done differently. 
So the physical exam in the US, you know, it's the finger up the rectum. Yeah, the mm -hmm. doctor's got a rubber glove on. They have you drop your pants, you bend over the table, they lubricate it up, they go and they feel around and they say, all clear. Mm. So the published literature worldwide, most early prostate cancers are missed by the physical exam. Mm -hmm. So the all clear just means the doctor didn't feel it. But this doctor said, no, 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 take your pants off. Don't just drop them. Get up on the table. I'm like, okay. He says, now bring, your, bring one of your knees up to your chin. And he says, now I'm going to be here for a while. I'm going to probably stimulate you. You might get an erection. I don't really care. We're doing a thorough exam. And then he rolls me over and up comes the other day. So you can imagine that. Mm. And he says, we've got a tumor. He called it, they called lesions at that stage. Mm. And I'm like, that's not good. And he says, we'll get you in for an MRI. And I said, what? Because yeah, I'll get you done an MRI. I'd never heard of that. Uh, turned out I didn't get it done over there and I ended up coming home right away. And so I called up my long established urologist and I said, oh, I'd, I'd like an MRI. And he goes, okay, I'll get you one. And I'm like, what the hell? You never told me about MRIs. Mm. And the MRI shows the tumor. There it is. Mm -hmm. And it's on the backside of the prostate gland. And so that's my diagnosis. Oh, fuck. Whoa. So MRIs are still not common in this country. They've been here, but they're not common. That's not what the doctors have been taught. It's not how they approach this disease. Mm. So is it, is it still, though, it's still benign? At this point, or it's, they're not saying like it's benign or malignant or? No, no, uh, well, the, the, the MRI does not look good. Right. So mm -hmm. the, the MRI is not diagnostic mm -hmm. because it's not a biopsy. Yeah. Right. They're just showing this mass. That's they're there. showing a mass and the doctors yeah. can look at it and go, that's not a good looking mass. But were they, yeah, yeah, were they yeah. assuming that because you said that they had, they had um, when they did the first biopsy and they said it was benign, that was that was that the same tumor that had grown more or was that a, was, was there a different tumor? Fair question. The answer is we don't know. We don't know if at 47, I had an active tumor or not. Right. It's the answer is probably yeah, it was there. And the answer is probably with that stuff I did before the blood test kicked it up, but there's no data. No one researches these things. Mm -hmm. They don't take young guys like you and say, okay, we're going to do a whole series of tests on you and see what, mm -hmm. what happens. Mm -hmm. So we don't know. But we do know that in that 10-year window, not only did I get the cancer, it got aggressive. It, had all, it was already spreading beyond the prostate gland. Mm, uh, right. So after the MRI, we went right into a biopsy. And the biopsy, yeah, comes back cancer. Wow. Flat out. And, and then so at that point, um, I, I'm imagining that you're feeling quite different about the whole situation. I mean, you've had, like, I'm already starting to see roller coaster. Like, the roller coaster yeah. patterns in this, like, you have cancer. Okay. It's benign. You know, time goes by actually. Yeah. There is a really big tumor there. Yes, definitely cancer. So at this point, what is the like next step for treatment? Well, I, I, I write it in the book that my doctor, he said, I can schedule you next week for surgery. Whoa. And, and, and so anything that you get like that is like, really next week we're rocking and rolling next yeah. week. And I said, no. And I went back to London. I said, I, and I was, I was pissed off with my urologist for 10 years. We've been playing with this, looking at the PSA test, doing the DRE, everything's clear. And I got cancer. Mm -hmm. uh, 
Uh, and then the, I don't want to get into too much detail because I don't, I'm, it can or cannot be helpful, but they, there's a Gleason scoring system for prostate cancer. You get this gray and it's two numbers and mine was a three, three, which is six. And there's lots of literature that says you don't treat a six. And the, the top of the scale is 10. And so my doctor's saying surgery next week and the literature saying don't treat six. And I'm like, okay, what's the, what's the truth here? Mm-hmm. So I jump on the plane and I go back to London because they're the ones that found it. And they're the ones that told me about MRIs. And I had learned when I, before I came back that they're doing some things ahead of the U S so I go back to the doctors over there and they're looking at the MRI and they said, this is increase in three, three, this is worse than that. I'm like, what? And I go, yeah, they didn't get the worst parts of the, of the tumor with the sampling. Oh no. And they said, but the MRI is not great. So we're going to do a better MRI. I'm like, how do you mean better? Because, you know, I'm from the U.S., right? You leave it in for longer. It's like the microwave. It's like, just leave it a little longer, let it cook a little bit longer, get the cold part on the outside to get hot. So we do do another MRI over there and they go, this this is bad, Keith. You know, Keith is bad. So they said, we want to do another, we're not going to do another biopsy. We want to do another opinion on this. It's the biopsy samples. So I have them shipped over from the US. And they come back and they say Gleason 3-4. Now that changes the game. That's a seven, and seven is something you don't you don't ignore. But to take that all the way through, the final pathology after the surgery that I had was four three. So four three is really different. That's getting up there into the woof stage. Because an eight and a nine and a ten is a problem is very problematic for a man. So like four four. What's a what's the difference between um, a four three and a three four? Yeah. It simplistically, it so the when they look at the cells and they grade them, it looks like ink blots. What these doctors look at, <laughs> so it means that there's more fours than threes. So the scale is one two three four five. So if you have a true benign tumor, you might just have one or grade one or two. It's not a normal cell but it's not cancer where you have nothing to be concerned with. Five is five is a serious problem and they do plus plus. They wanna take samples from the whole gland or as much of the gland as they can. So two plus two is four, we're not gonna worry about it. Three plus two is five, we're probably not gonna worry about it. Three plus three is six, that's now the gray area. But four plus two is six, but four is worse than three. So four, two, even though that six concerns you, Three, three is a six, but not as bad, we think. But did they sample it correctly? And then whichever numbers first is the more that you have. So if you have five, four, you got more five than four. Yeah, yeah. So that's how it works. So mine went from three, three to three, four, and then on a better sampling, four, three. Like changes everything. I, I've never actually heard, I mean, the amount of conversations that we've had about uh, cancer and biopsies, mm. I've never heard that that sort of, a uh, phrase about like sampling as like the worst part of the tumor. Like I just assume that, you know, you get a little piece of it and you can tell, like I, I assume sort of like a COVID test, you know, like, mm. oh yeah, you have COVID or like, oh yeah, this is a tumor. But like that, I mean, that, it's kind of like, it's kind of like if you're, when we would make weed brownies when we were teenagers, it's like, if you don't mix it right, yeah, then like yeah. some of the brownies are really intense <laughs> and some of them are just chocolate brownies. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and then you have different opinions of the of the ink blocks, right? Mm-hmm. One doctor says this, another doctor says that. What does the patient do? What what is the what is the impact to um so you you're getting you've now had your your prostate biopsied at least twice, if not three times. Yep. 
And, nice. and, and then you mentioned earlier this sort of, uh, what, what was it? Was it called? Was it, do you say the term was an unnecessary biopsy? That's, that's in the press everywhere all the time. Like, uh, they call them unnecessary biopsies. What, what so, is the impact of, of, of a, an unnecessary biopsy? Like what, what is the, what is the, like the, what is the impact on the function of the prostate or is there an impact on the function of the prostate when it's being biopsied over and over again? Well, over and over, probably a few dozen times is going to create a problem, but nobody does that. Um, in everything I've read, the answer is very little. Okay. Um, but it's, it's part of the misinformation, if I can say that word without getting you guys canceled. <laughs> um, you know, you might. So this is intrusive. It comes in through the rectum. That's a dirty area, right? You guys talked a lot about how you wipe. And, yeah. <laughs> and so it, it's a dirty area. So there's the potential for infection, but you try to find the data. And so we do tens of thousands of these biopsies a year, tens of thousands. How many guys get infected? The answer is not very many. So why don't we worry about it? You can get an infection from anything. Now you go to the doctor, you're worried about getting COVID. So it's minor. It's just really a minor issue. Can something happen? Sure. Can they puncture you in the wrong place? Sure. When you, I've had multiple surgeries now for this in the melanoma. You may not wake up from the anesthesia. Mm -hmm. So, so there's always a risk, you know, mm -hmm. and Jeremy, you've gone to your thing. So, you know, mm -hmm. there's risk in everything you do. So it's minor. The problem is the prostate's in the worst possible place. That's what makes part of the disease so difficult. That's just not a good place to be. Tiny little mm -hmm. gland. What, what do you mean by that? The worst possible place? Do you, do you mean that like from a, like a stigma perspective or just in general, like it's in a hard to reach place? Anatomy. It's not a big right. deal to open up your chest and get to your heart. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. It's right there. Everything is around the prostate. <laughs> you got your penis on one side. You got your rectum on your other. You got your bladder above it. Mm -hmm. And they got to go around everything to get to it. That's mm. what makes it so difficult to biopsy. There's a there's a, another way to biopsy. It's it's through the perineum. That's the, the skid between our our rectum and our yeah. uh, really nice erogenous zone for a lot of people. Uh, and and that's a better way to go. But you got to know where the tumor is. That's why they do the MRIs first. Yeah. You know, where's the target, and then we'll decide which way we're going to go get it. So do they? So so when you so when they discover that you've got um you know this is a this is a malignant cancer um, on your prostate, are they, is it, is the, is the route to remove your prostate or do, they, or do they just try to take off the tumor or is that, uh, yeah, oh, they the, that? there's, there's so much to talk about on the various treatment options. The good news is there's a lot of treatment options. The bad news is there's a lot of treatment options. Yeah. Right. Um, and there's always talk, you, you, you did a, a, a November speech or interview and the, the uh, the guy was talking about, well, we're working on new treatments. Ah, mm. I don't know that we need new treatments. I think we got to be careful how we talk about these things. Mm. Surgery is fairly common. It's been, it's been sort of the mainstay. It has the benefit that you, you remove the tumor burden. It's gone. And now we got a better look at what the rest of your life looks like. Mm -hmm. Does it have side effects? Probably. And that's its own complicated discussion, which I'm happy to get into if you want. Radiation's another one that's been around a long time. It's harder to know for a few more years, how weather got it all. And it's got its own side effects that just don't come as fast. Then there's other new techniques. Uh, it's been part why I went to London. They were doing HIFU, which is high intensity focal ultrasound. It wasn't approved in the US. I knew some guys in the US that had got it, but they had to go to Mexico to get it. So I'm over there talking to them about it. And then some newer radiation types. And 
an interesting thing in England, the, the, the high food doctor. So I'd be a private patient over there. So I'll write him a check. He says, go get surgery. He says, you don't want to do this. I'm like, what? And then the, the cyber knife radiation doctor, he said, go get surgery. Don't, don't do this. And he explained why looking at the MRI. So they were using the MRI to decide the best way to get after the tumor. Uh, a lot of men also don't need treatment. That's part of the confusion around this disease. So many men don't get treated because it's a sheep and they're 82 years old and they have severe heart disease. They probably don't have 10 years left to live mm. and the cancer is not going to kill them. But we allow that to, to confuse those of us in our 40s and 50s. Mm -hmm. That's really that's a really interesting. That's a really interesting point, I think, because I because I think that that at least in my understanding of how I think about cancer, it's like. It's like it, it. It's like you got cancer. Get rid of. It. We got to get rid of it. Yeah. We got to get rid of it. I've never. Yeah. I've never thought about it in that context of right. you know you're you're a certain age. You you've got uh, you've got other you've got other conditions that are you know going to you know more massively affect your life. And there's a certain kind of life expectancy that you've got anyway. So why would we start to go down this path that's going to you know an invasive surgery or treatments that are going to make you feel like shit and you know de deplete your quality of life I mean, yeah yeah like you know dating a, a a nurse who works in an intensive care unit you know the cvic the cardiovascular intensive care unit i mean i'm i hear stories of that shit all the time you know people that people that go in and have these like procedures done and they're at a certain age and they just don't ever leave that icu that's the last you know those are the last moments that they spend their their lives yeah. on this planet and you know, it's, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely, it's definitely, definitely, I can see how that would be something that would like kind of confuse that younger generation of forties and fifties. Um, one thing that I'm, I'm curious about is, and, and this is something that you've mentioned, um, in, in the, the show notes, um, before this conversation, but this, this technique, this, the salvage lymph node surgery, um, that you, you went through, what, what is that? Um, and, 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 and also can you speak to the fact that this is like, it seems that this is something that is just now starting to be recognized and utilized in, in the U.S.? So, so it's nothing new. Mm. Uh, it is lymph node surgery. And in prostate cancer, over the decades, there came this discussion about what they called lymph node chasing. And then they started to do this with other cancers. So you guys have one of your other shows that I picked up and listened to. You had a big discussion about how many lymph nodes do we have, right? <laughs> So once it's in your lymph node system, it's in your lymph node system. The question is, how far has it gone, mm. right? So they start chasing lymph nodes is the term. And guys might have all of their lymph nodes ripped out of their pelvic region and up out of their arms, and they're scarred left and right. And so that they realized they weren't finding much cancer. So let's not go do all of that. So there was a turn away from lymph node surgery. Although mm. there'll be, if you're going to have surgery for your prostatectomy, that's your first treatment, we're going to rip out your prostate gland, there'll be a discussion about how many lymph nodes should we take out, but they're guessing. They don't want to take out too many. Mm. So anyhow, so after my prostatectomy, that didn't get it all. I had salvage radiation and that didn't get it all. So now the doctors are telling me it's chemo and hormone blocking drugs. And I'm like, so is this curative? And absolutely for prostate cancer, chemotherapy is not curative. And mm -hmm. the hormone blocking drugs are not curative. 
And so, yeah, I'm 60 years old and I'm not ready for this stuff. And why would I do a treatment that's not curative? So I hauled my ass back to Europe mm. and found my, so there was imaging over there that was not available here yet. And then I found to this amazing imaging at a PSI level of, of 0.1, which is super low. And in the US, they'll say, we're not even sure that's cancer. We're not even sure that we can image it. Well, they can image it in the Netherlands. And I went over there and we did the imaging and up pop six suspicious lymph nodes in the pelvic region. Whoa. Wow. They can get that specific. Oh, this is good oh, stuff. Shit. So, so you like a bit of controversy? Yeah. <laughs> Brian cool. loves a hot take. <laughs> I yeah, love hot so. takes. Very much so. So the, this, this imaging is called the nanoparticle MRI, the ferritron. So, so why the hell do the, do the, do the, the Dutch have this ahead of us. By golly, this is America. Mm-hmm. Well, this actually was developed in the, in the States in the 1990s. But the FDA said, no. That's just an interesting little side note. Mm. Uh, so it let them up. So now I'm, in, I'm over in Europe, and I'm calling to the doctors in the U.S. And they, all, they just say chemo and AT. And I go, yeah, but that's not curative. There's nothing we can do. And I'm, I'm just... Google it away and talking to doctors and pushing the envelope. And we find this doctor online in Belgium and he does this thing called, well, first of all, I found a paper and this is in the book pretty well spelled out. I find this technical paper on this, the value of salvage lymph node surgery. Mm. So we start looking at that and then we find this doctor in Belgium that does this stuff. So I send mm-hmm. him an email. It's so different over there. I sent him an email and, and I said, I'm skiing right now, but you know, I can come see you anytime. And the email comes back. So what ski resort are you at? <laughs> He's in the ski resort next to me. <laughs> Dude, let's talk. So we talk. He's like, okay. He says, I know about the nanoparticle MRI. Let me get your imaging. So he goes in and grabs my imaging. Gets it sent to him. I haven't paid him a penny. <laughs> Looks at the imaging. And he says, I can get these. I can get you're, these. You're into this. <laughs> you're, you're into this for $200,000 stateside. <laughs> you also, well, uh, you, 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 yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say you're killing that medical tourism. Uh, <laughs> That's uh, right. Like, yeah. Like That's you must right. have so many passport stamps and, uh, <laughs> and also getting to hit those skills while you're in the middle of doing it. <laughs> That's that, right. It's a great way to do it. It's fucking awesome. Yeah. It is. And, and so I'm now I'm calling back to the States. I talked to my primary surgeon. He says, oh, I don't, we don't want to do surgery. Nobody wants to do surgery. I went to all the major cancer centers, the elite cancer centers, the centers of excellence. No. I go, what? No. So I, I decide to do the surgery in Belgium. <laughs> and what, was the, what was the reasoning in the States? Why, 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 what was their, yeah, what was the idea around not doing surgery? I don't have a good answer for that because no one's given me a good answer and I mm. can't find it anywhere. Here's what I think it is. There's, there's one, there's a stigma about lymph node chasing. They're not taught to do this these days and nobody's doing it. Mm-hmm. And so where do they go? They go to drugs. Mm-hmm. We have in the U.S., the number is much smaller up in Canada, but we have over 3 million men in the U.S. today with active known prostate cancer. Wow, that's strange. Our CDC is no longer making it easy to find how many of these men are on hormone blocking drugs. The number is somewhere above half. And these are devastating drugs. But there's a lot of money in this. So that's all. That's just fact. That's not commentary. That's just fact. So that's where they lean to. Mm-hmm. So I went for the surgery in Belgium. And then you wait for your blood test. And the, 
the standard of the, the number of the blood test is confusing. That's another piece of information, disinformation, misinformation. So the standard guidelines in the US for recurrence of prostate cancer is a PSA number of 0.2 nanograms per ml. I've decided based on some work out of Harvard and Johns Hopkins, I'm gonna rely on less than 0.01. I come out of the Belgian surgery and I'm less than 0.006. Hmm. And, and, and that's lower than 0.1. If I misspoke, it's less than 0.01. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. This is like, am I cured? Did we get it all? This is unbelievable. Hmm. And I learned over there a technique they do there that they don't do here. And it doesn't make sense to me. So they go after when, if you're going to have a prostatectomy, the first thing they do is they go after the, the lymph nodes known as the common iliacs. And these are known as the gateway coming from the prostate area. And they do an immediate biopsy right there. And they did that on me. They went right to the common iliacs. And if they find cancer at that moment in those lymph nodes, they go for every lymph node they can find. Mm. Are you tired of hearing the same old wellness advice? It's time to dig deeper and listen to America Dissected from Crooked Media, the podcast that's cutting into the science, culture, and policy that shapes our health. From doctors fighting for their rights to the surprising truths about sunscreen, America Dissected dives deep into the state of health. Tune in every Tuesday for new episodes of America Dissected, available on all major podcast platforms. It, it, it's really um, like when you're speaking to the to the to the, the why they might not do this surgery in the states and and sort of the the uh, like the intersection of pharmaceuticals and like I I I, I will put commentary on it um, that I I get this I get the sense that that it, it's it, it it's sort of, it's sort of like it's a culture over time that gets developed yes. Uh, that it's not like it's not like the the you know whatever company is producing the hormone blocking drugs is like you know they might they, uh, you know they're not like in the ear of the doctor or the surgeons or whatever but but over time but maybe at one point there was like some lobbying to mm. say like this is a more effective or this is better and then over time that becomes the culture of prescription mm -hmm. it becomes the it becomes the standard method of care for for um for somebody who has prostate cancer to just deliver these these drugs rather than you know maybe do this surgery that has this sort of cloud around it and isn't really done very also much. not to mention though the fact that the way that those lymph lymph nodes were was identified was from a method that isn't approved to be done in the United States so it's easy for them to to probably say well mm -hmm. like I don't, actually don't know about that because like when that happened in the 90s and that that was that method was not approved and it was just seen as this little side project then you know then doctors just aren't trained in that they don't recognize it they don't so it's easier for them to prescribe mm -hmm. medication you're right i i don't i don't begrudge them for it I, yeah. I don't i they're not malicious in what they're doing yeah or or what they're not doing but uh i th think it was taylor when you were doing the interview uh with christina and you talked about you know doctors don't want to fuck up their records uh that is also got to be part of the consideration but mm -hmm. again prostate cancer is difficult and once the cancer's out it's really challenging and one of the things that i've learned and i've learned this with the melanoma cancer 
it, the doctors want, to, so prostate cancer, if it never leaves the prostate, it doesn't hurt you at all. The prostate gland is benign. Breast cancer that never leaves the breast never tells anybody. Mm -hmm. It's when it spreads. Once it gets out, we as patients, I don't care what it's called. It's cancer and it's mm -hmm. going to go eat me alive. The mm -hmm. doctors want to know because they pick their, their drugs and that's, that's a good thing based on the kind of cancer that you have or the genes that are involved. So fine. I get that. So yeah, that's their culture. They're not trained. Now the surgeon that did my work, he was in the States earlier this year. Guess what? Doing a big conference on what he does. So mm -hmm. it may swing its way back. The imaging allows that this to happen without the imaging. This stuff was too difficult to do. Um, so that's just how it went. And it's, uh, but we don't have the choices properly laid out in the U.S. We don't talk to the men in, in the right way. Mm -hmm. uh, we worry about things, you know. So uh, if we can, let's touch briefly on on some of the side effects of these things. And guys get all worried. They go, oh, I might not get erections. Well, would you rather have cancer? Mm -hmm. It kills you? Pick your poison. Um, uh, it was Christina, her, her story. I mean, you, and the question when you ask, you know, what did you lose? What did you give up? And she says, my stomach, you know. But that's a big difference compared to your erection. And if you're a 65 year old man, really, you know, <laughs> I mean, just, just to sort of be candid about it. Um, and yeah, you could, you can come out incontinent and then they'll blame this on the surgeons and all the work I've done says it's not bad surgery. If your cancer has gone into your sphincter valve and you guys have talked about these before, you got to get rid of your sphincter valve. Mm -hmm. You don't get to keep it or you're, what are you doing the treatment for? Because the cancer is staying in you. Um, I do want to, before we get done, I, I want to talk about screening. I want to talk about you guys and I want to mm. talk about age. So at some point, if yeah. we could do that. Totally. I, mean, I was going to ask you when you, when you started talking about screening, you, you mentioned that you had two young kids at the time. And, and I was thinking, um, like, well, fuck, I'm that age where I, you know, could like have kids and and be thinking about these things but mm -hmm. it's never crossed my mind no. and i i assume that oh that's the thing that you think about when you're like 50 is the literature but, for four is it is is the is the standard i feel like 40 is the, the age that pops out of my mind that's like once you're 40 you should be getting regular prostate exams is that that's just nope, popping that, out but I that no is idea. not the literature at all <laughs> uh, the literature now I, I am just a patient, but I'm a patient that has been through this. So I'm mm. entitled to my opinion. And I, I like to cite things and I cite things in the book and I'm going to cite something I learned just this last week. This we got a couple of medical groups now are, are talking differently. They're now talking about what they're calling smarter screening in the university of California in San Francisco. So when they say we're now going to do smarter screening, what are they telling you? They're telling you it ha hasn't been smart. And Canada follows the U.S. Sorry, prostate cancer in Canada and the U.S., they follow all the same guidelines. So the, the, big, the big operative group in the U.S., the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force, their guidelines are maybe when you get into your 50s, start to have a discussion with your doctor. Mm. They, they talk about and they publish the benefits versus the risks. And not many years ago, they wrote the benefits of early screening don't weigh out the risk. Like, what's the risk? A man can't handle the anxiety of a PSA number. And when you get tested, three out of four elevated PSAs are not cancer. So that's good news. And a man can handle a biopsy. But out of the University of San Francisco, this Dr. Matt Cooperberg, and I just been learning about him now. He's like, what we need to do is we need to be screening men in their 40s. Mm -hmm. Now, he's walking a thin line. He's not as aggressive as he should be. 
let's just start screening all men in their 40s. You're looking for a baseline number. Hmm. And the standard has been a PSA of one to four, whatever that means to us. And he now says, and I know he's correct, he says less than one if you're in your 40s to early 50s. If you're less than one, you probably never have to worry about this again. Maybe check in five or 10 years. I was in my 40s, two to three. And guess what's brewing? The mm. cancer. Mm -hmm. So if this is a slow cancer, if this is a 10 to 15 year cancer, and you're found to have it in your 60s, or early 70s, do the math. How old were you? Mm. Right? So now's the time. And, and the, this guy, this doctor, he's also saying, you know, as the men get older, the PSA gets muddy because the, the prostate gland starts to grow. It's just what it does. And it interferes with urination and all those things. But the PSA number gets really convoluted and the man might start having infections. And so we're not sure. But at your young age, guys, not your prostate gland is doing its job. It's helping you make babies because that's what it's meant to do. Mm. Right. It helps make your ejaculate so you can impregnate someone and have a baby and go, this is great. So get a check now. Mm -hmm. See what your baseline is. If you're above. Go ahead. Uh, I was going to ask, how do you, how do they <clears throat> check? Like, what are they actually checking when they do that? Because like, I'm familiar with like the finger up the butt idea of feeling around for that. But like, how do they actually measure your PSAs? A blood test. Blood test. Mm -hmm. Oh, so you don't even need a finger up your butt. Nope. And no, remember no. the finger up the butt misses most early stage cancers. Yeah. So why are we doing that? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. If the doctor feels a big, hard, heavy, crusted prostate, guess what? And, and by the way, you can do these yourself. Just let's have a good chat, right? You can stick mm -hmm. your finger right up your butt. Mm -hmm. And you can go feel your prostate gland. Um, when I found my melanoma cancer was on my back, something just didn't feel right back there. Mm -hmm. So I, I did the contortions of getting my hand down in my upper middle back. It's hard when you're old. And as soon as I touched it, I go, that's not my skin. Yeah, yeah. So, so you would feel that in a prostate gland. But most early prostate cancers, I've said several times, is missed. So what's yeah. the point of that thing? Sir, you're all clear. Yeah, but you probably missed it. Just so, tell me you didn't feel it. Something that uh, something that's kind of been like, I, I, it's been in my mind over the past, uh, since basically the beginning of our conversation, but I wasn't really sure if it was relevant to bring up, but it, it, it seems now that, that it is. And it, it, it first came up with, for me when we, you mentioned that the only good cancer is the cancer that, that, never, that never shows itself. Um, and I think in this conversation about screening and understanding like baseline numbers and things uh, and understanding what your baseline is to give you a sense of how you might approach this in the future, whether that's like very near future or if you can just leave it alone for five or 10 years, um, is I was listening to this podcast recently about sort of like the future of oncology and, and they were talking a lot about screening and understand being able to screen better to understand so we could catch these things earlier and obviously like limit the, the death rates of cancer patients. And, um, and they were talking about a method called liquid biopsy, um, which is basically like, like they, they were talking about medical imaging and how you have to have something like a billion cancer cells to form a tumor that's visible right. on an imaging machine and how this liquid biopsy technology could like drastically reduce the amount of cells necessary in the body to recognize that you have can't that you have cancer. Um, but the issue that is present with this technology now is that it might detect cancer. 
that you never know whether it will become cancer because they're going, you might have cancer cells and those cancer cells might just, they might just float around in your body and just never do anything. They're Mm -hmm. there and they just kind of like live out their lives and they never cause you a problem. And so like, how do you, like kind of getting wise as to like how to make the right, the smart decisions about how to deal with those results of going, you have cancer cells floating around in your body. What do we want to do about it? Do we want to start doing treatments or something or something that could be invasive to treat something that might never turn into anything? Or, or, but, uh, but at the same time, like, do you want to wait? and like wait for it to become something Mm -hmm. and uh anyway it just kind of sounds like it 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 just sounds kind of like it it struck me as relevant to the whole conversation around screening and understanding like what your baseline is for your psa and and understanding like well if i go get checked and i'm 35 what do i do with the information with the doctor what Mm -hmm. what, when if they say hey like you know you might need to keep an eye on this like is this something that they can even tell at this point the, 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 all of that's excellent. And, and, and I agree with that. And, you know, 10, 20, 30 years, our grandkids are going to be in a very different world than we're in. Yeah. But what you've spoken of is empowering the patient. Mm-hmm. Here's information. You and your doctor can have a discussion about what do you want to do? How do you want to approach this? Um, but this is a disease. Prostate cancer is the disease. You want to get it early. It's like melanoma cancers. You want to get them early. Right. You don't want these. If once it spreads and gets too far gone, you're in a world of trouble. So what I've always believed is you want your PSA when you're younger to be very low, less than two or less than one. And now the University of San Francisco is saying University of California, San Francisco, less than less than one. You go talk to your doctor today. He's going to tell you you're crazy. You don't have anything to worry about. This is an old man's disease. Right. Yeah, but it's a 15-year disease. And if it starts at me at 40, that gets me to 55. And I might not see my grandkids. Mm-hmm. So we're 34,000 men die in the U.S. And, and they're, some of them are old, but a lot of them are not. But what's old anymore? You know, I'm mm-hmm. 65, but I'm not old. Mm-hmm. My daughter, my granddaughter refers to me as a young old man. Um, <laughs> so you, the number, that, so it's not Keith. Speaking here, it's the University of California, San Francisco. They're out on YouTube now. You can find it. So that's a big cancer society, uh, big cancer center. They're saying 0.1 in your 40s. Mm-hmm. One, uh, Keith, one of the things that I is, mean, one, not 0.11. I'm sorry. Yeah, right. one, yeah. one. One thing that I I find really striking about your your story is that like you've done a fuckload of research. Like yeah. you've done you. I mean you and and not just research, but like advocating for yourself. And it sounds like throughout your experience, like there's a lot of moments where if you didn't advocate for yourself, you could you you could have found you yourself in a very right different situation. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and so, like, what does that mean to you to like be a be an advocate for yourself? And like, ha- like, what would you say to somebody who is like just recently diagnosed and is sort of going through some of the early stages of 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 what where you were? And what would you say to them? Uh, for me, it empowers me to not be afraid. It empowers me to not be anxious. It empowers me to not be waiting to talk to the doctor the next time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so let me throw this out and see if I can do this. It's, it's, it's probably really controversial. But let's, let me bring in what I've done with COVID. All right. 
Oh, he's putting a MAGA hat on, folks. Here, here we go. <laughs> well, I may or may not, but, but, I, but I, 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 my intent here is to is to is to is to rattle your cage. So I am not vaccinated. Mm. I've had two cancers, and I'm not vaccinated. Well, why the hell would I not be vaccinated? I'm an anti-vaxer. I bet none of you three have what I have. I have four natural antibody tests. I go get tested for natural antibodies which aren't going to last, we're told, right? Mm. So I had COVID in February of 2020. I was in Southern Spain. I was at the epicenter of the breakout in Europe. Bad week. I didn't like it at all. Yeah, I, I was not fine, but I got over it. And so as soon as antibody testing became available, I got really strong antibodies and they're getting stronger. I got exposed not to earlier this year to the latest uh, variances. Mm. And my antibodies only go up and I don't get sick and I test negative. So that's what it does for me. So when someone says, why aren't you vaccinated? I go, well, I do have these really strong antibodies. And I've now gotten some people that have been vaccinated to go get the same antibody test and they have fewer antibodies. Mm. Now, I don't know what to do with that necessarily because I'm not a, a, a fancy doctor that has all the answers. But I just go, you know, I've been sick again. And my son-in-law got vaccinated because they started to worry if they got to take one of the kids to the hospital, maybe you should be vaccinated because they might not let you in. Well, he's the one that keeps getting sick with COVID and mm. the rest of us don't. So that's just fact. I'm not saying anything. I think the vaccines are great and the right people should take them. But to your question, it empowers you to have a say, mm. right? I mean, Jeremy, I got the impression on some of your work that you, you know a little bit more about CF than the average person. Mm -hmm. So it empowers you to not just sit there. And I want to parallel it to this. I don't know if this is, happens in Canada. It doesn't happen much in England. But in the U.S., get a second opinion is a common thing. Yeah, yeah. What? What the fuck? You mean I don't trust the first opinion? I, I don't like it, so I want to get a different one? So now I have two different opinions, which I've had on my pathology. Which one do you believe now? Yeah, yeah. Right? Which one do you believe? I don't know. How do you figure that out? So it's empowering. It, it gives me answers that I, I can't get otherwise. And what it really does is it preps me to see the doctors. Yeah. One, mm. one thing I would say it does give you is it, it, it certainly empowers you to be able to ask good questions, at least like, like you said, I mean, you can't know, you can't know as much as, you know, some experts know in the same amount of time because they've just spent more time learning about those things, but you could ask really great questions that help, um, to, uh, you know, help you to determine what's best for you in a certain situation, mm. because in contrast to that, they also don't know you as well as you know you. So Correct. there's like a, there is this bit of a, a balance between like, you know, being able to, um, take the advice from doctors, but also know what advice works best for you because you know yourself the best, mm. which I would agree with that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. I mean, yeah, uh, th th I mean, th this whole notion of like, of, you know, of like putting your foot down to be your own advocate is we've heard stories time and time again about how incredibly beneficial that can be to folks. I mean, we just covered that story of the woman who had lipedema or lipedema who, you know, there's no specialist here in Canada or in Atlanta, Canada, at least. And she just took it into her own hands. It was like, fuck it. I'm going to Japan. I'm going to Japan to get this thing done that is going to allow me to enjoy my time with my children and uh, sure, it's going to it's going to like fucking destroy my bank account. But that's more important to me than just sitting here being told by my healthcare professionals that, sorry, we just don't have answers for you. 
you know, and, and when you're looking for those answers, oftentimes you gotta, you gotta do your own research and, yeah. and like, that's the way to go about it. You know? Yeah. I mean, the, the, you know, Jeremy, I was, I've always, I've known of cystic fibrosis for a long time, but I didn't know anything about it. So I started to read about it. Well, it's not very many people. No. Right. No, it, yeah. it really isn't. 4,000 people in Canada. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I looked at the number. So, gee, that seems irrelevant, except not to you. That's right. That's my and world. That's, right. that's my world. Yeah. That's, that's right. So there's 34,000 American men who die every year in the U.S. from prostate cancer. 4,600 die in Canada. It's really not a big number. Most of us are older anyways. Yeah, but it's my life. Mm-hmm. And this, that, you know, to your question, Brian, doing some of this on your own lets you bring it to you. The doctor doesn't see you as an individual. They can't. They don't mm-hmm. have enough time. Mm-hmm. And they're bound down by their by their guidelines and I don't fault them for it but it, it helps so do you guys know if your dads have prostate cancer no well I, I, would, no. I would say I would say I would guess no because my dad hasn't told me he has but I would I there would be a strong possibility that he could and I wouldn't know and I wouldn't yeah. and I wouldn't know it and I wouldn't know about his um approach to screening or yeah, any right. of that I wouldn't yeah. know any of that yeah at, nor your granddads. You guys are still pretty young, so you might have some granddads around. Mm-hmm. Um, but the numbers of men that get this is high. It's it's in the common literature. If a man lives long enough, he'll have prostate cancer. Mm-hmm. They also say, well, most men won't die from it. But do you fucking want this cancer to begin with? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you you know, I melanoma cancer now. Every time I go to the doctor, we're going to do biopsy this. We're going to biopsy. I get four or five cuts on my skin. You go, okay, now I got to go through this anxiety. Yeah. I've got to deal with it. So this disease, it's, the, it's kind of the number one killer of men, depending on how we look at the statistics. Um, one in seven, one in eight Canadian men have prostate cancer. That's the number that's published. So think about this for a minute. If an 80-year-old guy is found to have prostate cancer and he dies from something else, that's really not relevant that he has it. But if the three of you have it and you guys are adventurous and you go out there and you lose your lives, no one's going to know. Because we haven't been checking the younger guys mm. when is when we should be looking. If you're 80 years old, it probably doesn't matter. Mm. It probably doesn't whether you have it or not. Mm. Um, but when you're young and you can get it early or make decisions on how you want to handle it. So it's getting better every day. The imaging's getting better. But, you know, your dads, you ought to ask your dads. You guys had a PSA mm. test. Yeah. It's probably yeah. unlikely because it's not promoted. The doctors can't, well, it's, it's going to mislead you. Well, you, you may not handle the anxiety. You know, I mean, Jeremy, you seem to handle your CF pretty well. Okay. I yeah. got it. I'll handle it. Yeah. I mean, what's the problem? You're going to yeah. get something, right? Yeah. yeah. It's Jerry is pretty proactive though. And, yeah. and even with um, like the screening, he keeps asking me to help screen him for prostate cancer. And like, I'm yeah. like, dude, you should do your PSAs. And but you're he's like, like I no, I prefer, I can't do blood tests. And Brian Jerry's like, I don't need the blood test. Yeah. But now he so. knows he can do it himself. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Which, dude, I, I've been telling you this. I think, that's right. I, I actually got to go to the bathroom. I'll be right back guys. I think what you said, like what you said about what you said about, um, you know, it's the the example that you use with CF there. Like, it's you know, it's really a it's really a small number. Except that it you know, Jer doesn't give a fuck how many people yeah, have CF because he's got it. Yeah. and <laughs> and that there that that is unfortunately, like you said about about doctors, like that is unfortunately like they look at things in in in, 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 in st- the statistics of things, 
And so if you are a patient that says like, hey, I think I'd like to get this done, this whatever done, I, I can think of an example from my life where we were, me and my wife and I were having trouble uh, getting pregnant. And I asked my family doctor to get a, um, to get a sperm analysis. And she said, she said, well, I mean, you, I don't think you need that. And I was like, well, there's two of us. I mean, uh, who, like the sperm yeah. analysis might be helpful in determining and, and, and maybe it won't, maybe, maybe it will show something that shows why we're not successful at getting pregnant. And I had to repeat myself and I, I, my, I have a great family doctor, but um, I had to, I had to push for that to try and to, to, to get that analysis done. But, and she's coming from the position of statistically at your age, Correct. Correct. you're yeah. not, you know, it's unlikely that you have any issues and this and that because that's a statistical thing. And I get that, but then it's, but then it's me. And I might not be, even though I'm statistically supposed to be in this statistical area, I might not be. Which I you weren't. And I was not. Yeah. 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 And, and, and that's the shortcoming of our healthcare system and our insurance system. We don't want to waste a lot of money. We don't yeah. need to go test every man for his sperm count. But if you as a self-directed patient, and I, I write in the book, I like to think of myself as a patient detective and patient scientist. You yourself are going, we're not making a baby here. I'm, we're trying 10 times a day. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, I'm trying to up at the 20, but the wife's saying, you know, 10's <laughs> enough. But you're doing exactly what it takes to say, I'm talking about me. Yeah. I need to get out of the statistical arena and I'm talking about me, but now I've learned apparently in the US and Canada, almost all babies are checked for CF. Yep, that's right. Yeah. Cool, easy, cheap. That's just great. Let's just yeah. do that. Yeah. Uh, so, you guys, you're a little young to get your PSA, probably as you get into your 40s, but check with your dad. Say, hey, dad. Yeah. And I bet some of the doctors will say, no. Yeah. Statistically, yeah. doesn't make sense. Wrong. Mer Murray, yes, what, what would you say is the biggest thing that your prostate cancer or your, you know, your experience with any cancer um, has taken away from you? Yeah, I'm, I'm prepared for that question. Uh, so I wanted to think about it for a while. And because uh, I could tell you a lot of things. It took away my really giant penis because now it's really small. Uh, it took away my the drugs just shrunk my testicles down to nothing. But wait, I was wait, thinking actually, but is that I know before you go into the serious one, is that a, a, like actually? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 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 That's I'm done. That's done. Yep. Got it. Yeah. Mm. The guys look at me in the gym and I go like, yep, get your PSA checked guys. <laughs> so I walk around kind of proud. Like, let me tell you what this is guys. This is not getting your PSA checked early. Mm. Yeah. And they're looking at me like no shit. I go, yeah, no shit. So, and then, um, uh, Christina who lost her stomach. So I'm like, what did I lose? So what I lost is, is my trust in government standards and guidelines. Mm. That's what I lost. No, we don't need to check your sperm count statistically. That's what I lost. Mm. I don't trust it. I don't trust the broader guidelines. So that's what I lost. That's the big thing that I've lost. What would you say is the biggest thing it's given you? Uh, two, two things. Uh, we haven't talked about it at all, and that's fine. But after I got diagnosed and had my prostate ripped out, I got rid of the businesses. I jumped in an RV, and I've spent the last seven years driving around the Rocky Mountains all the way up into Canada and the, the, uh, uh, the Calgary Stampede, having mm. a great time outdoors. So Whoa. it gave me that. If I didn't have it, I'd probably still be busting my ass working. Mm. And I'm glad. Uh, and the other thing that it's given me, and, and that's what we're doing here, it's given me the opportunity to help some guys. Mm. 
And, and I'm passionate about it because you said it earlier, if I hadn't been screening, I'd be fucked. Mm. I, I would not be here. My cancer and the surgery in Belgium had reached the para-aortic lymph nodes. What are those? I don't know. I'm mm. just a guy. <laughs> the precipice of incurable disease. Uh, right to mm. the lungs mm. and you're done. Give it up. Wow, we went that far high. It was stunningly scary. So it's given me the opportunity to say, hey, here we go. And so the imaging I went to, I went for in, in the two images that I went for Netherlands for four years ago, you can get one of them now in Canada and the US. So we're making progress, mm. catching up. Good mm -hmm. news, it's coming. Genomic testing, which I had done in England, you could, wasn't even gonna be approved in the US, but it is. And you can get it in Canada now too. So mm. that's where they look at the biopsy cells and they go, we've got a risk grade for this. A bit more information for us. So that's the other thing it's given me is the opportunity to say, this is what happened to me. And you know, it's the experience, right? We can have opinions and emotions, but when it's happened to you, when I can show you the imaging, uh, real briefly, this new doctor I'm working with now, he just didn't like my story. I went in with graphs and pathologies, and he didn't like it. I don't believe it. And we, we almost got into a fight, but we, we worked it out. He wanted the pathology from, from Belgium. He didn't believe it. Hmm. So we get the slides sent over, and, he's, and he sends it to the top cancer docs in, in, in Houston to look at him. He goes, damn. Mm -hmm. yeah, I know it's just factual. That's the great part of this. It's just facts. Yeah. Right. That's what I got out of it. That's well, crazy. Murray, uh, I want to say, first of all, thank you. Thank yeah. you for, uh, for coming on here and sharing your story with us. Uh, people who may not be aware September in the U S is prostate cancer awareness month. So, uh, very fitting that we had you on this month to, to cover this stuff. And, uh, it's, it's been a real treat to have you on the show and, and to have, your insight as a patient advocate, um, you know, I think you're, I think you're doing really, really valid and important work. And uh, on behalf of the three of us, we, we thank you for that. So thanks yeah, for, absolutely. thanks for being a part of it. Thank you guys. And thank you for your show. It's fabulous, by the way. Thank you. Thanks. It, it's, uh, it's, it's really fabulous. And I've learned a few things. So off we go. Well, All that's, right. Oh, that's, that's, that's the real That is it for this week's edition of Routine Checkup. Thank you so much for tuning in, folks. It means the world to us. And if you'd like to continue listening to the podcast, you can do that right here on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And of course, if you want to support the podcast further, you can leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, or you can simply rate the podcast on your Spotify mobile app. And uh, even Better than that, why don't you tell someone that you know, tell someone that you love, tell someone that you don't know, that you listen to Sick Boy Podcast and recommend it to them because we always love those extra ears. The podcast is produced and hosted by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Brian Stever, and Taylor McGilvery. The podcast is managed by Jeffrey Lonis at Talent Bureau. The theme music for today's episode comes from Rich O'Coin. Thanks again, folks. Hope you enjoyed it, and we'll be back next week. That's it for now. My name is Jeremy, and this is Sick Boy.
For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.